Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. We know you can't get enough of your favorite flavors. Luckily, Kroger Free Pickup makes it easy to grab what you need without any surprise fees. Whether it's extra buns for the barbecue or those chips you just can't quit, start your cart with the Kroger app. Kroger, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. It's the big $10 sale. So mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Welcome everyone to Too Good To Be True. Thank you to all the listeners. Are you ready for a really absorbing show about the Rendlesham Forest incident? Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject and then research it. And based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. At the end of the process, we have psychic insight into a subject. At that point, it is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research and the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we do miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We're only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows will have already been covered again and again in other broadcasts and articles. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not so good with pronouncing names. We apologize. Another disclaimer is there are a lot of people involved in relating events. We only have time to mention a few people to describe some of the events and to illustrate that the eyewitnesses have conflicting reports. We are not investigative journalists. Thank you, Justina. As you mentioned, we're going to talk about the Rendlesham Forest incident. I've never heard about it, but you must have heard about it as it happened in England. Only recently, it happened in December of 1980. Uh, I was living in the country then, but I don't remember anything about it being reported at the time. When did the alleged events become public? It appears to have been when the British Sunday newspaper, The News of the World, reported the incident in 1983. The front page headline was, UFO lands in Suffolk, and that's official. Subheadlines included, Colonel's top secret report tells the facts. Mystery craft exploding in a wall of color. Animals flee from strange glowing object. And no hoax, says Air Chief. 
So that must have got the public interested, but did it? At the time, I don't remember the newspaper headlines or any public interest, but the News of the World was a product of tabloid journalism. I don't think it was taken very seriously by the general public. The newspapers seemed to specialise in exposing the alleged private details of the lives of celebrities and was finally put out of business in 2011 after a phone hacking scandal. Going back to 1980, can you help set the scene regarding what the world was like then? Yes, the Cold War, Cold War was still continuing. It wasn't until 1991 that the Soviet Union was dissolved. In 1980, the United States boycotted the Summer Olympic Games held in Moscow. The Soviet Union had invaded Af Afghanistan the year before, where they were fought by local warriors using guerrilla war tactics backed by the United States. Many feared that nuclear war would break out between the Soviet Union and the United States. The people were told that the West's superior strength was a deterrent against being attacked by the Soviet Union, but outbreak of nuclear war would have destroyed the planet. Apparently, there was a worldwide uh, stockpile of over 50,000 nuclear weapons in 1980. So the people at the time were living in fear, but hadn't the Cold War been going on since the end of World War II? Yes, it had, it had. And at the time, the Cold War was in its 35th year. We just got on with our lives and hoped for the best. Also, at the time, there was no internet or discussion beyond what we heard on television and radio. At the end of 1980, Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, was into her second year as British Britain's Prime Minister, with nuclear disarmament definitely not being on her agenda. What did people think about having nuclear weapons stored in bases around the country? There was quite a bit of tension. I remember Greenham Common near Newbury, Berkshire. This was a former RAF base used by the United States Air Force, located about 55 miles or 88 kilometers west of London. In 1981, a women's prote protest group set up a peace camp outside the airbase. Their protest was against nuclear weapons being stored there. I recall driving past the airbase a few times. Every car seemed uh, to drive the, uh, drive the speed limit and keep a safe distance. It was as if we all thought we were on camera and didn't want to be stopped by the police. The camp went on for almost 20 years. Um, and uh, Britain researched nuclear weapons quite publicly, only seven miles or 11 kilometers away at the Ministry of Defense site at Aldermaston. Uh, this might help explain the location of the protest. What did people think about UFOs and extraterrestrials at the time? I don't recall these subjects in any conversation at the time. Uh, UFOs were for kids' cartoon shows or for comedies. In the United States, the television show Mork and Mindy with Robin Williams' Mork for Mork was going strong. Apparently, the Roswell incident was starting to, do, to be discussed from about 1978, but I don't remember hearing anything about it at the time. We'll have to go to a short break, and after this break, we'll talk about the actual accounts of the incident. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 
401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, Dad, you were setting the scene of what the world was like when this incident, or at least England was like when this incident took place. So can you go over some of the accounts of the actual incident? Yeah, the first thing I have to mention is that there is a little confusion about the actual dates. Some are reported as occurring on the nights of December the 26th to the 28th. And the military is more precise in reporting events uh, after midnight uh, is reported as being during the next day. The central person relating the incident is Lieutenant Colonel Holt, who reported the incident on December the 29th, 1980. His memo, dated January the 13th, 1981, stated that the incident started to occur in the early morning of December the 27th, 1980. That would be the night of the 26th in other reports. So the military were involved. Where did this happen? Sightings of unexplained lights occurred near Rendlesham Forest in the county of Suffolk. These lights were alleged to have been blue, red, orange, and white. If you travel about 100 miles or 160 kilometers northeast of London, you will, you will be in the middle of Suffolk. The northern Suffolk coast is about as far east you can go in England without going into the North Sea. You haven't said much about the Rendlesham Forest itself. How big was the forest and how remote was it? I don't think there's anywhere really remote in England the place is too overcrowded. Uh, the forest was planted on heathland, meaning non-agriculture land, just after World War I as a source of lumber. The forest covers an area of about six square miles or 16 square kilometers. So why were the military involved? The events occurred just outside the Woodbridge Air Force Base, which was at the time being used by the United States Air Force. Hence, it was a lieutenant colonel that made the report. They don't use the rank lieutenant colonel in the Royal Air Force. Apparently, there was a nuclear weapons storage facility on the base. There was also another Air Force base nearby called Bentwaters, which was also being used by the United States Air Force. These bases are often referred to as RAF Woodbridge and RAF Bentwaters, even though they were being used by the United States military. RAF, of course, stands for Royal Air Force. Do we know how many nuclear weapons were stored at the Air Force bases? There is a London Daily Express article from May the 24, 2016, that includes a comment from former Air Force police officer Gary Helselstein that he was told that one of the local Air Force bases had more nuclear weapon, uh, more nuclear missiles, that is, than anywhere else in Europe. So what was in the report or memo, as you called it earlier? Before I go into that, Lieutenant Colonel Holt gave an eyewitness account of events to, news, uh, to a news organization years after the incident. Lieutenant Colonel Holt was the deputy base commander of the Woodbridge and Bent Waters Air Bases, so his statement has a lot of authority. Lieutenant Colonel Holt was called into the forest to investigate an unusual sighting. Apparently there had been alleged UFO activity near the, air, near the base for several days before the incidents. I'm going to quote from the website, the rendlesham This is a rather long quote and refers to the second sighting, two nights after the first sighting. Also, I've removed editorial comments that were put, put in by the website. Again, note that the following quote is regarding the incident as it continued during the early hours of December 29th, 1980. That was two days after the incident began to occur. So, quote, there was a glow in the forest near indentations from where a supposed object had rested two nights before. So we went in, into the forest and we were examining things and suddenly we saw something. We looked out in the farmer's field and there was this almost elliptical object with a black center. It appeared to be winking, it's the best way I can describe it, and it was dripping like molten metal off it, just like it was shedding something. It wasn't perfectly round, it was a little bit flattened and it moved from side to side. Then it came down, came into the forest, moving through the trees, avoiding the trees. It bobbed up and down a bit in the process, and at one point it actually approached us. 
I was thinking, ball lightning, what could this be? And then it receded back into the farmer's field and suddenly it just silently exploded into five white objects and they disappeared. Across the road, we stumbled through a creek, got all wet and went out into the plowed field, just looking around. And we looked in the sky and there were objects in the sky, several to the north and several to the south. The ones in the north changed from elliptical to round and had multicolored lights that were blinking and flashing. They moved at very high speed in sharp angular movements as though they were doing a grid search or something. One of them approached us at very high speed. I'd say it was at 2,000 to 4,000 feet in altitude and it came almost directly overhead and sent down the equivalent of a laser beam. It's the best way I can describe it. It did not go into, it did not go like a light beam and fan out. It came straight down maybe eight or 10 inches in diameter and fell just eight or 10 feet from our feet. We stood there in awe, you know, is this a warning? Is this a signal? Is this a communication? What is this, a weapon? And just as suddenly as it appeared, it disappeared and the object moved back away from us a bit. And while we were standing there, then we noticed another object over the Woodbridge base, sending down the equivalent of similar beams. I found out later that British radar had actually picked up some things on a screen. I didn't know this until recently because people had come forward after they'd retired, but there were two radar confirmations, unquote. We will talk more about the British radar later, but what was in the memo and why did Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Halt write it? It also seems odd that an account like this would be in the public domain. Yes, the memo surfaced in 1983 after a Freedom of Information request. The memo was written after Lieutenant Colonel Holt was pressurized into writing it by a British military liaison officer. Much later in 2005, Lieutenant Colonel Holt stated the following to the History Channel. Quote, the memo was not meant for public consumption. It was meant as a tickler if you will, to the Ministry of Defence to get them involved to do a proper investigation, unquote. The Ministry of Defence referred to was the British Ministry of Defence, of course. The memo was never answered by the British authorities. Rendlesham forested, of course, on British soil, so Lieutenant Colonel Holt's comments make sense. The United States authorities couldn't really investigate something over the fence in another country. The History Channel became involved in 2004 2005 because of their documentary Britain's Roswell. So the British authorities don't seem to want to talk about it, but it's time you quoted that memo. Yes, here it goes. Note that the events quoted are at the start of the incident during the earlier hours of December the 27th, 1980, and subsequently. So, quote, subject, unexplained lights, dated 13th of January 1981, to RAF. Paragraph 1. Early in the morning of, 20, of the 27th of December 1980, at approximately 300 hours, two USF, USAF security police patrolmen saw unusual lights outside of the back gate at RAF Woodbridge. Thinking an aircraft might have crashed or been forced down, they called for permission to go outside the gate to investigate. The individuals reported seeing a strange glowing object in the forest. The object was described as being metallic in appearance and triangular in shape approximately two to three meters across the base and approximately two meters high. It illuminated the entire forest with a white light. The object itself had a pulsing red light on top and a bank of blue lights underneath. The object was hovering or on legs. As the patrolman approached the object, it maneuvered through the trees and disappeared. At this time, the animals on a nearby farm went into a frenzy. The object was briefly sighted approximately an hour later near the back gate. Paragraph two, the next day, three depressions, one and a half inch deep and seven inches in diameter were found where the object had been sighted on the ground. The following night, December, uh, 29th of December 80, the area was checked for radiation. Beta gamma readings of 0.1 millirontgens were recorded with peak readings in the three depressions near the center of the triangle formed by the three depressions. A nearby tree had moderate 0.05 or point uh, zero 07 readings on the side of the tree facing towards the, the three depressions. Paragra <coughs> excuse me. Paragraph three. Later in the night, a red sunlight object was seen through the trees. It moved about and pulsed. 
At one point, it appeared to throw off glowing particles and broke into five separate white objects and disappeared immediately thereafter. Three star-like objects were noticed in the sky, two objects to the north and one to the south, all of which were about 10 degrees off the horizon. The objects moved rapidly in sharp, angular movements and displayed red, green and blue lights. The objects to the north appeared to be elliptical through 8 to 10 power lens. They then turned to, into full circles. The objects in the north remained in the sky for an hour or more. The object to the south was visible for two or three hours and beamed down a straight a stream of light from time to time. Numerous individuals, including the undersigned, witnessed the activities in paragraphs two and three. That's Charles Holt, um, Charles I. Holt, Lieutenant Colonel, United States Air Force, Deputy Base Commander, unquote. Thank you for reading that, Dad. So who were the two United States Air Force Security Police patrolmen who first saw the lights early in the morning mentioned in the memo? Apparently, these were Airman First Class John Burroughs and Staff Sergeant Bud Parker. They called the main guardhouse with Sergeant Pennison and Herman Kavanasak, whose rank I couldn't find, being dispatched to investigate. A Wikipedia article states that the lights were thought to be coming from a lighthouse not far away. That seems a bit odd. Wouldn't you get used to seeing lights from a lighthouse and not suddenly investigate them in the middle of the night, randomly right after Christmas? What did the other people have to say about their experiences? I couldn't find any information on Bob Parker. Uh, Jim Pennison's name comes up in a London Daily Telegraph article dated February the 16, 2015. I will quote from the article, quote, Jim Penniston, who accompanied Burroughs into Rendlesham Forest on December the 26th, claims to have encountered a craft covered in hieroglyphic-like characters. I estimated it to be about three meters tall and about three meters wide at the base. Penniston later explained, no landing gear was apparent, but it seemed like she was on fixed legs. I moved a little closer. I'd already taken all 36 pictures on my roll of film. I walked around the craft and finally I walked right up to the craft. I noticed the fabric of the shell was more like a smooth opaque black glass." Unquote. The same article includes a sketch made by Jim, Jim Penniston of the craft, which was included in his original witness statement. The sketch is pretty detailed with several different views. The article reports that both John Burroughs and Jim Penniston had suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder since the incident. That's three of the four. What about Herman Kavansak? I couldn't find any information on Herman Kavansak except that he drove the jeep. What else is on record regarding the incident? Lieutenant Colonel Holt signed an affidavit in 2010 which includes the following quote. I believe the objects that I saw at close quarter were extraterrestrial in origin and that the security services of both the United States and the United Kingdom have attempted both then and now to subvert the significance of what occurred at Rendlesham Forest and RAF bent waters by the use of well-practiced methods of disinformation. Who else in authority made statements about the incident? In the same year, 2010, Colonel Ted Conrad, who was command who commanded both Woodridge and bent waters, strongly disputed everything stated by Lieutenant Colonel Holt and also by Jim Penniston. Colonel Conrad defines that, denies that anything unusual had occurred. Apparently, Conrad was confirmed as being at the site of the alleged incident on December the 27th of 1980. Well, after this short break, we'll come back and talk about some civilian witnesses and then get to the psychic incident and see what's going on here. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. 
Welcome back to Too Good To Be True. And before the break, we were talking about the military witnesses for the Rendlesham incident at the forest. So now let's talk about some civilian witnesses. Dad, were there any civilian witnesses? Yes, there were. A local resident and uh, there were records made by the Suffolk police. But before we look at those accounts of events, let's go over an attempt to provide stronger evidence than after the fact eyewitness testimony. On December 29, 1980, during the last night of the incident, Lieutenant Colonel Hort had, has brought with him a recording device. The tape runs for 18 minutes with Hort's descriptions. Also, there's more testimony from December 29, 1980. 18-year-old uh, Larry Warren, a security policeman on one of the bases, observed a red light that turned into a craft on the forest floor. Larry Warren claims that the craft had no windows or no markings. He claimed that to perceive the craft's shape, peripheral vision was needed, but the craft was clearly present. Now events become even stranger. How so? Events seem strange enough already. There was a reported silent standoff with an extraterrestrial being which appeared close to the craft described earlier. Later the craft departed. Eyewitness Sergeant Adrian Bustinza, security police commander, was quoted as follows. When it took off, it was like hovering. It went up and like took off about a 45 degree angle. And if you would have blinked, you would have missed it. And we got a cold draft of air that, that lasted about a good 10 seconds. You know, like when you get a good blow of dust or wind. No noise though. I do remember that, unquote. This is really like a Hollywood movie. I really don't know what to believe. What was the official view from the British Ministry of Defense? Here again, I'm going to quote, quote, no With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this, but with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades, find new roads, Chevrolet. Evidence was found of any threat to the defense of the United Kingdom, and no further investigations were carried out. No further information has come to light, which alters our view that the sighting to these lights was of no defense significance, unquote. The statement followed multiple queries about UFOs from the British public. The, the statement didn't say there were no sighting sightings of lights, just that there, were, there was no threat. Why don't you go over the eyewitness account from the local resident and what information the police had? Yes, I'm going to go to, go to the quote from the website UFO Evidence regarding the local resident, Gordon Levitt, quote, Mr. Gordon Levitt was the first person to report seeing a UFO on the night of December the 26th, 1980. He lived in Sudbourne on the edge of Rendlesham Forest. He was out in his garden with his dog when he saw a UFO that looked like an upside-down mushroom with a greenish-white glow. The craft was silent and heading in the direction of RAF Bentwaters and RAF Woodbridge. Levitt's dog later started acting strangely and refused to come out of its kennel. The dog's condition got worse and it did, died before the new year. Unquote. I'm sad about what happened to the dog. I'm not sure why the poor animal would have been so affected. What do the police have to say? The Suffolk police logged the following. The, fir the first quote is, is following a report from the Woodridge Air Force Base. Quote, we have a sighting of some unusual lights in the sky. We have sent some unarmed troops to investigate. We are terming it as a UFO at present. Unquote. The result of the police investigation uh, was logged as follows, quote, Air traffic control West Drayton checked, no knowledge of aircraft. Reports received of aerial phenomena over southern England during the night. Only lights visible this area was from Orford, Light, Orford Lighthouse. Search made of area negative. The aerial phenomena probably refers to the re-entry of the Russian Cosmos 749 rocket which was widely seen over southern England on the evening of December the 25th, unquote. Air Traffic Control West Drayton is essentially London Heathrow Airport. A report confirming the re-entry of the Cosmos 749 rocket can be found in the Journal of the British Astronomical Association, 1981, volume 91, page 561. It broke up during re-entry over the North Sea. Uh, but it, this happened six hours before the lights began to be seen. Why don't you go quickly through the non-extraterrestrial explanations for the events? Is there more than logged by the Suffolk police? 
Yes, the BBC's website attempts to debunk the whole incident, the BBC being a British broadcasting corporation. Um, a television program, Inside Out, from 2003 is summarized on a webpage. The webpage includes a confession from former United States Air Force security policeman Kevin Condy. Here is a quote from Condy. I drove my patrol car out of sight from the gatehouse, turned on the red and blue emerging lights and pointed white flashlights through the mist into the air. The bottom line is that this was not a UFO, it was a 1979 Plymouth Valare, unquote. The article goes on to explain that eyewitness accounts, accounts conflict and some knew at the time of Condi's prank. The article does not account for the incident occurring over a period of three days. You mentioned that there have been quite a few newspaper reports recently. What has been written about the incident or incidents lately? The British tabloid newspaper The Sun has two fairly recent articles from the um, December 6, 2016 article Steve Longero, a former security policeman retiring from the United States Air Force, claims that all the alarms went off while he was guarding the weapons storage area. He mentions Larry Warren, who we mentioned before being at the scene, and provides the following quote about the lights or UFOs as he had assumed. Quote, they look like fluorescent colored lights, like red and green glowing lights. That's what they look like. I could see them hovering over the treetops, tree sorry, like an eye that was almost following everybody, unquote. Why did he only come forward recently? The article states he was told to keep quiet by his superiors. What was in the second article? That was from September the 1st, 2016. Two unnamed radio operators are claimed to have tracked UFO traveling at 120 miles or 100 kilometers in, a, in eight seconds. Lieutenant Colonel Holt mentioned that the radar operators in his account of the incident. That's 900 miles or 1,450 kilometers a minute. No terrestrial craft can travel at that type of speed. Yes, there was also claims of tree damage at the time. Author Jenny Randalls in her book UFO Crash Landing includes comments from eyewitness James Brownlee, a local forester. Brownlee is quoted as follows, quote, I noticed that the pine tree well above the ground was broken, broken as if something heavy had fallen from the sky. Branches were also torn off lower down. There were signs of scorching and burning on the forest floor and a series of indentations which indicated that something solid had come down there. There was also evidence that an object may even have been dragged along the ground to remove it from the area." Unquote. That certainly suggests that something solid had been present after the fact. Also, his comments seem generally consistent with those of the other eyewitnesses. Yes, I think it's time for the psychic insight. The events, events described were either an elaborate hoax or something significant, or maybe just some lights that cause an overreaction. I will ask the first question. Were any of the lights, oh, sorry, were any of the events associated with the storage of nuclear weapons? Yes. Was Lieutenant Colonel Holt in his right mind when he was at the scene during the nights in December 1980 and later when drafting his memo? Yes. What had Lieutenant Colonel Holt to gain by writing a memo that some would see as career-limiting? Basically, by getting the truth out there. What was the object that illuminated the entire forest on December the 27th? Advanced technology. What caused the animals in the nearby farm to go into a frenzy? Because they were scared of the energy and they felt the energy coming and wanted it to go away. What happened in the hour between when the object was first sighted and later sighted again near the back gate? So it's how the advanced technology works. So the time is different. What were the depressions in the ground caused by that were reserved the next day? The advanced technology. What caused the elevated radiation levels reported the next day? Again, the advanced technology that was present that gave off energy that can be compared to the energy of radioactivity. Later in the night, what was the red sun-like object? Basically a follow-up object after the first. How did that one object break up into five? So it doesn't really have a form, so it's able to manipulate itself. Why did the objects at North remain visible for an hour or more? 
again, because the time is very different because of these objects than human time was. Two nights, two nights later, what was the glow near the indentations? So that was the remaining energy from the object. What was the elliptical object with a black center? So basically, this advanced technology works on different parts, so it was related to it. Why did the new object break up into five, just like the earlier object? Basically copying the other object, the two worked together. How did the objects to the north change from elliptical to round? Because they do not really have a shape, so you can think of them as shapeshifters. Why did the objects send down circular beams? So basically, it was to evaluate the Earth underneath them. Was there a silent standoff with an extraterrestrial? In a way, yes. What was the craft covered in hieroglyphic characters reported by Jim Peniston? Basically, an object from a different place. What was the craft that was reported by Larry Warren? Again, an object from a faraway place. Did Gordon Levitt see a UFO? Yes. Why did Gordon Levitt's dog go into his kennel and would not come out? And later, why did the dog pass away? So the problem with animals is that they can feel the energy and the energy shifts. So the dog was afraid and thought the safest place for the dog was in his kennel, since then the dog would be safe. And later, the dog passed away from not a not completely related reason, but the dog did continue to have a lot of fear. Were the lights created by a nearby lighthouse? No. Were the events a hoax? No. Were the lights created by a 1979 Plymouth Valare? No. Did two radar operators actually track a UFO traveling 120 miles or 180 kilometers in eight seconds? Yes. Was there tree damage due to the lights or objects near the two? Sorry, I'll start that again. Was there tree damage due to the lights or objects near the two Air Force bases? Yes. So, what was the advanced technology? Was it extraterrestrial or human? Basically, it was from a different place, so it was not human. What does mankind have to learn from this incident? Basically, that there are different beings visiting. So not everything is of human creation, and that these beings from other places have different technology. So humans do not have technology that can really break apart into multiple parts like their technology. And what we would say is basically that not every account is faked. Was this an attempt to prevent humans from using nuclear weapons? What we can say is that the beings were on a mission to basically evaluate the area and then observe what the humans were doing. Okay, that's the end of the psychic insight, so I have to ask the question. Is an extraterrestrial visit to Rendlesham Forest in December of 1980 too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. If the psychic insight is believed, then these hard-to-believe events are true, along with some enormous implications. Well, let's discuss the events and the psychic insight after this short break. Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back to Too Good To Be True. And before the break, we just finished the Psychic Insight. And Dad, you were saying that if these events are actually true, and this was something of UFO origin, this might have some enormous implications. And my comment for that is that the extraterrestrials visited to observe an area, and this area might have had an arsenal of nuclear weapons. But that still leaves me with several questions about what actually happened. Yeah, I've got lots of questions, but you first. If the extraterrestrials had such advanced technology, why couldn't they use stealth methods? They didn't need to be seen. It is as they wanted to be seen and put on a show. And it seems that at some point that all the truth may come out. It is as, it is as the, the extraterrestrials wanted to make their present known. Yes, they certainly uh, put enough lights in the sky. Um, also being tracked on radar at an estimated speed of 900 miles or 1,450 kilometers a minute with their advanced technology also suggests that they want to be seen and demonstrate their advanced technology. 900 miles a minute is, is of course, 54,000 miles or 87,000 kilometers per, per hour. At that speed, the objects could go around the world in less than half an hour. We haven't mentioned the Rendlesham Forest UFO Incident Conference uh, to mark the 30th anniversary in 2010, or the book by Nick Pope. Yes, I found a video on YouTube with James Penniston, John Burroughs, Larry Warren, Peter Robbins, Linda Morton Howe, and Nick Pope. We haven't discussed Peter Robbins or, or Linda Moulton Howe, who are both UFO experts. Yes, Linda Moulton Howe, of course, is a well-known journalist who has covered the Rendlesham Forest incident ex- extensively. On March 8, 2015, Linda posted a video on her website, earthfiles.com, with the news that former Sergeant John Burroughs had received full United States Veteran Administration medical benefits for injury in the line of duty during the duration of the Rendlesham Forest incident. The atrial fibrillation, or irregular heartbeat injury, was associated with unidentified aerial lights. These benefits were were granted following over a year of support from U.S. Senator uh, John McCain. The Veterans Administration had denied benefits because John's medical records at Bentwaters had been classified and thus unavailable. The radiation he was exposed to later resulted in open-heart surgery in 2013. The information that enabled John Burroughs' condition to be recognized was in the declassification of British records in 2006 which directly related UAP radiation to bodily injury and mental manipulation. What is UAP radiation? It is radiation given off by unidentified aerial phenomena. In other words, radiation given off by UFOs. So let me get this straight. The United States government recognized that John Burroughs was injured by UFO, while the British government recognizes that the UFOs can give off harmful radiation. Isn't that to say that the United States and British governments both recognize that there are UFOs? I think that must be the logical conclusion as well as high-profile Senator John McCain's conclusion. The extraterrestrials made their presence known and eventually national governments had limited disclosure that unidentified aerial phenomena are real. However, the British Ministry of Defense no longer comments on UFOs. I wonder if in the unlikely event of a flying saucer landing at Buckingham Palace would the Ministry of Defense comment. But anyway, going back to the radiation, it is interesting that the radiation is called UAP and not just common radiation that's normally seen on Earth. 
somebody must have checked out the radiation from the Rendlesham to see what it actually was. Yes, on the way to having the root cause of his heart condition recognized, John Burroughs, through the Freedom of Information request, was able to get the British Ministry of Defense to admit that they had withheld at least 18 UAP UFO files. Did you know any of this before you received the psychic insight? I vaguely recall something about a veteran receiving benefits following the Rendlesham Forest incident, but I didn't take much notice. And the guy could have been hit by a, by a jeep in, a, in the events following uh, sighting of some strange lights. Um, also, investigation of UFOs, as you know, is not my day job. Yeah, it's not my day job either, but you raise a good point, though. If all the events during and following December 1980 were out in the open, as it seems the British newspapers are attempting to achieve, then UFOs and extraterrestrial visits would be a major topic on our television screens. Yes, during the 2016 United States presidential election, the subject of UFOs and making information public came up. But let's get back to Nick Pope, Nick Pope and mention his book, A Counter in Rendlesham Forest. First of all, who is Nick Pope and why is he in authority? Here is a quote from the Nick Pope web Wikipedia webpage. Quote, Nick Pope, born 19th of December, September 1965, is a freelance British journalist and media commentator. He was an employee at the British government's Ministry of Defence from 1985 to 2006 and is best known for a role he undertook for the British government from 1991 to 1994, which involved investigating reports of UFO sightings to determine their defence significance, unquote. Hasn't Nick Pope been interviewed by Rob McConnell on the Exxon radio show? Yes, he has, but let's mention his book published in two in 2014, which also lists John Burroughs and Jim Penniston as co-authors. Here's a quote from the marketing material. Encounter in Rendlesham Forest tells the extraordinary story of the world's most compelling and best evidence UFO incident, a case that is more significant than the infamous Roswell incident. Co-written by former UK government UFO investigator Nick Pope with John Burroughs and Jim Penniston, the two military witnesses at the heart of these, encounter, in these encounters. This disturbing and compelling book tells the inside story of what really happened and lifts the lid off the true role played by government, the military, and the intelligent community in, relate, in relation to the UFO phenomenon. This controversial new book is largely based on recently declassified government files as the only UFO book ever to have needed security clearance from both the British and American governments. Encounter in Rendlesham Forest will leave you questioning everything you thought you knew about the UFO mystery, unquote. I don't understand why the publishing of this book by a former British government UFO expert hasn't prompted more interest in getting governments to disclose everything they know about UFOs and extraterrestrials. Yeah, the book was published as stated with security clearances. I would have thought that governments recognizing the existence of UFOs would, would be world news, with millions asking for more information. I think, though, before we close, we need to look at the life of Lieutenant Colonel Holt after 1980. Apparently, he continued his career in the United States Air Force until 1991 and retired as a full colonel. He appeared in several television documentaries, and, and in 2016, he co-authored the book, The Holt Perspective. Nick Pope wrote the foreword for the book. Here is a quote from the marketing material. Quote, the book forms part of a unique series devoted to recording the social history of mysterious and bizarre events that have occurred during the 20th century. It is enhanced by a huge number of illustrations and photographs in color and includes candid opinions expressed by Nick Pope Charles Holt, Jim Penniston, and others, in order to set the record straight, despite, despite continuing threats from those members of the UFO fraternity who had strong reservations about the publication of this book, unquote. Well, it's not about the continuing threats from members of the UFO fraternity having reservations about the book's publication. I, don't, I didn't understand that. I would hope everyone would be looking for the truth. Uh, governments will claim that they have to be secretive to protect their citizens. One critic of the book is unhappy about accounts of UFO sightings in Southeast England being included from as early as World War II. My spin on the events is that the entire universe has a stake in the planet not destroying itself, 
So why would we why would we be surprised if unidentified air phenomena show up to observe what is going on and don't hide their presence? I think we'll know more in years to come. But do you have any more thoughts on the events that Colonel Halt and his colleagues reported? I think we should thank them for all their courage in speaking out. Aside from the psychic insight, the United States govern, uh, government, as we've discussed, did clearly recognize that John Burroughs was injured in the line of duty by UAP, UAP radiation. This, in my mind, uh, is co official confirmation that we are not alone. I would also argue that our stewardship of planet Earth is simply not good enough. I think that brings up a good point, is that how many people have actually been injured officially by UAP radiation, and how many people are there that we don't even know about? That's a very good comment. I really have no answer to that. Um, but uh, there we are. I think the surprise for me about all of this was um, Linda Moulton Howe reporting that um, the medical benefits had been provided, and that was official recognition that, um, uh, that something that was extraterrestrial had harmed a, a serviceman. I think that's incredibly significant. I think I've already said that, but I'm still surprised I'm saying it. Well, I think it's a good time to mention our Facebook page. So for all the listeners out there, we do have a Facebook page that you can come like and follow. And you can come and interact with us on there. You can put on um, suggestions for future shows. So if you're interested in more shows about UFOs, for example, you can suggest that to us. So if you go to Facebook and you type in Too Good To Be True, so that's T-W-O, then good, and then T-O, and then be true. And just go on there, like, comment, and we would love to hear from all the listeners. Yeah, um, we haven't had the suggestion to do a show on the Loch Ness Monster, so I guess I'm waiting for that. <laughs> well, we could probably do a lot of shows on different UFO incidences, since there's a lot of those. But, of course, we're wrapping up here. So, again, thank you to all the listeners. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. And, of course, we'd love to hear from you. So if you want to talk about the Loch Ness Monster, if you want us to do a show on that, you're welcome to suggest it. So, again, thank you to all the listeners. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your Quarter Pounder. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer.